are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to yet another edition of Power to the Pod, the people's podcast related to the Miami Dolphins. This is Locked On Dolphins. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi's here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Power to the Pod is my absolute positive favorite concept of the week because it's a chance to hear from all of you and get a thumb on where your heads are at pertaining to the Miami Dolphins. So once a week, we hand it off. Uh, we got 50-plus Twitter questions. I got a handful of iTunes reviews to also tackle. Uh, we will do iTunes rever- reviews first, as is customary on the show. But I did want to acknowledge uh, a couple of newsworthy nuggets before we get into your questions. The Miami Dolphins exit Week 12 of the 2020 season with high aspirations as it pertains to the 2021 NFL Draft. The Dolphins own the Houston Texans' first and second round picks in next April's NFL Draft, giving them two consecutive seasons with at least two first and two second round picks. Miami currently, as things stand, owns the 11th, 22nd, 42nd, and 55th overall selections, but that has the opportunity to improve because the Houston Texans got word yesterday that their second best player on either side of the football has been suspended for the next six games, which will bring them through the end of the 2020 season. Wide receiver Will Fuller and cornerback Bradley Roby learned their fates yesterday. This is a big development for the Miami Dolphins. You look at, regardless of how deeply you subscribe to pro football focus and the grading that they give out. I think there is value to be had with a lot of what pro football focus does. I don't agree with all of their grades personally, um, but Will Fuller was the second highest graded offensive player on the Houston Texans this year behind Deshaun Watson. And he was on pace for over a thousand yards for the first time in his career. He's finally healthy for an entirety of a season. And Bradley Roby behind J.J. Watt was the second highest graded defensive player on the for the Houston Texans. Both gone. Remainder of the season. Five games. Houston has stabilized their season a little bit. They start in one and six. They have won three of their last four. But those three wins, you know, they've collected wins out of the four wins they have this season. Twice against the one and ten Jacksonville Jaguars. And another one against the 4-7 and seven Detroit Lions, who are such a train wreck that they fired their coach after the game. This is still not a good football team. And they have to face the Colts twice and the Tennessee Titans over the next five games. Without their second best player on either side of the football. Big development for the Dolphins as they continue to have one eye towards the here and now and the other eye towards the big picture view and what needs to happen for them to make the most of their opportunities. Dolphins fans, I don't have a problem if you have two eyes on the here and now. I don't have a problem if you have one eye on the here and now and you have the other eye on Tua Tonga Valo, and that's all you care about. But I'm telling you right now, 
Houston losing their second best player on either side of the ball is a huge deal. For a team that was building a little bit of momentum, wind out of their sails. Two out of their next three against Indianapolis Colts. Now, you could build the argument and say, well, it would be more beneficial for the Dolphins if Houston won at least one of those games against the Colts because the Dolphins are competing with the Colts for a wild card spot. And that's going to come down to how you choose to fan. Are you going to choose to fan for, hey, Miami's got their fate in their own hands, win, take care of business, it all takes care of itself, go Colts? Or would you like to to see that playoff berth even at the expense of five spots in the NFL draft order? And I will say this, you know, kind of watching, obviously serving as the director of scouting over the draftnetwork.com, and kind of watching the players that are in that top 10 realm, it's kind of a weird spot for Miami. Like, you'd, you'd ideally like to see a wide receiver there um, late in the top 10. Micah Parsons, if you get a little higher up, but that's a positional value proposition. There's lots of conversations to be had there that we won't have today. Although I do know a bunch of you in your Power of the Pod questions did try to sneak a little draft talk in there, which I'm not mad about. And that's a perfect segue for us to shift our attention and come back to some of these iTunes reviews questions pertaining to your Miami Dolphins. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. First iTunes review question today is from last week. It comes from Tua Magic. Kyle, love the pod. You've done an excellent job taking over for Travis. Thank you. Big shoes to fill. We do our best. My question is, do you have concerns about the offensive line moving forward after the performance in Denver? And obviously the Dolphins gave up additional sacks against the Jets in Week 12 as well. I understand they have three rookies that will improve with more time, but with the additional first and second round picks, I told you you guys tried to sneak draft talk in here. Do you believe that group needs to be addressed? I believe it does need to be addressed. Uh, I do not think it needs to be heavily invested in. I'll keep coming back to the the nuances between those two things. And uh, investing in a position is drafting three rookies and signing a, an offensive guard and a starting guard and a, a center and free agency. Five new bodies, right? I think you can now, you know, if you decide to bring Ted Karras back and you have continuity, but you have an opportunity, pristine opportunity to draft a center early on. Uh, with a higher ceiling than Ted, I think that's a decision that you make. And if that guy has guard center flexibility, then great. Now you have even more versatility to be able to take in stride uh, if you end up seeing Eric Flowers go down with injury. And Jesse Davis still has value as a, a swing tackle. I think a potential upgrade in that swing position could be on the table as well. So uh, address, Yes. Early, potentially. Invest, no. I, I think they've kind of reached beyond with the investments that they've made. you got to trust your valuations to develop a little bit. Our next one, Navarone Gun. I know who you are on Twitter because I saw you screenshot this. I don't know how to pronounce your iTunes name, though. Uh, reviews and upgrade from one I did about a year ago. Power to the pod. 
could you provide a critical look at Tua's play yesterday? Uh, where does he need to specifically improve? Hopefully you'll risk that and the wrath of the Tua fans on Twitter. Disclaimer, I like Tua. I like Tua too. I think that's something that you can be critical of players and still appreciate who they are, what they can be, what they do bring to the table. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa was the fourth highest graded, third highest graded, excuse me, uh, quarterback prospect that I've had in the last five years in NFL draft evaluation. I'm a super high fan. I am not surprised that there are some growing pains and, and some install uh, and just retention from a volume perspective. It kind of is what it is. Um, so Tua, uh, the last time out against Denver, and in, in general thus far this season, his RPO stuff's really, really good. You knew that was the case. You knew he was going to be an accurate passer. And I think the general book on him and, and criticisms from what you hear in-house with Tua are fair. He's used to throwing to guys that are wide open. He's used to having a lot of space and easier decisions to make instead of having to have more anticipation of my guy is going to win the space. And it feels like the Dolphins are really preaching the mantra of protect the football because why wouldn't they, based on what we know about Brian Flores, this Dolphins approach, they want to not beat themselves. Well, when you're a rookie and you're used to having guys open and your mantra and your head coach and your, your coaches are preaching, don't turn the ball over, be smart with the football, and guys aren't creating space for you to throw to, you're going to double clutch on some of those throws. So I understand why. And then, you know, he he does take some shots. You think back to the Chargers game, the, the throw to Gusecki. Mike didn't win the real estate at the catch point for him to bail him out and make sure that that wasn't an interceptable pass. I don't think there's many. Now, the Broncos game is a bit of an outlier because you could tell he was his internal clock was he was feeling rushed going through the progressions to the point in which he was getting off progressions too quickly, just trying to get through them on. You hear Ryan Fitzpatrick talk about, hey, sometimes when they get after you, you're only going to get through your first two, so you just got to make a decision. I think that's an important lesson for Tua, and I, I think that was one of the things against Denver that he was in such a rush to work through the progression I think of the mesh. They ran mesh one time in the corner round as the top read. And, and again, I don't want to assume that's exactly what the Dolphins are coaching him to do. But in general, the concept is the first place your eyes go when you run mesh is to the the strength of the formation. You run a, a corner or an out. That's read one. Devontae was wide open because two guys triggered on the cross that came underneath. But Tua was already moved beyond that point, and then he got off his spot and his eyes dropped. And So there's a lot of little things. Uh, but I, I think the root of the issue with Tua, with some of the up and down that you've seen in his play, is when he's not comfortable and he's keeping in mind what his coaches want him to do, it's not looking like what he's used to it looking like. And the only way you're going to break through that glass ceiling is to just do it and let it rip. And I think this time for him, seeing... 
Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, and now that two is played, he's probably got a little bit more of appreciation of how Ryan Fitzpatrick goes about his business to lay it up there for Devontae Parker and say, yo, big guy, go win it. Ushi wants to know if against Denver, the Dolphins should have put Tua back in once they got to the red zone. Man, that's really tricky. As, as weird as the messaging was to pull Tua out in the first place, and I understand from a protect him physically, and, and clearly he's not seeing the field the way that you would want him to. To start playing musical chairs to that degree, I think it's kind of just like, okay, Rook, go sit down and, and watch and digest what happens when somebody else is doing what you have felt and experienced. I thought about that myself. It's like, man, I wish Tua was there in the red zone. But I don't know if, I don't know, logistically speaking, you know, they, they seem to have a little bit of a rhythm coming down the field. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Uh, but I don't have a firm conviction that that should have been done if they were going to use it as a learning lesson. And okay, now take your thinker's cap back off. Now go back in and try and win us a game. Because if you go to overtime and you take Fitz out and wait for him to get in the red zone and then put two back in again, you know what I mean? It just That, that gets too messy in my eyes. NFL Gamer 23, last iTunes review question. It's the last one that's showing up. If you left reviews and they're not here yet, I will tackle as many as I can next week. Do you think Savan Ahmed can keep the starting spot even after Breida and Gaskin return? I think he's looked the best of all the running backs. He seems to have a little bit more twitch than Gaskin, doesn't he? Uh, Gaskin's better in the passing game. So he'll always have a leg up in that regard. And he's got more reps. I don't disagree that Savan, when he's got his touches, seems to have the best blend of a little bit of physicality, a little bit of pop to get through gaps. He's capable in the passing game. But I do expect Savon uh, to yield to Miles Gaskin the starters role once Miles comes back from IR, which will probably be this week against the Bengals. We here at the Locked On Network have been big-time proponents of the Built brand and Built's newest product, Built Go, just ups the ante even more. It's a workout gel that's built to help you break through your mental or physical wall each and every day. It's easy to take. It comes in a one and a half ounce package. You put it in your back pocket, in your golf bag, in your briefcase, in your glove compartment, wherever. And it's always ready to go when you are. It's the best workout gel on the market. It's like five hour energy without the same crash feeling. It's like drinking a monster with a third of the caffeine and better results. It comes in three delicious flavors. My personal favorite is chocolate mint, but there's also peanut butter honey and chocolate coconut. Bilko combines energy gel with collagen protein, which is fast absorbing, and it gets into your system fast, and it's easier on your stomach. It's loaded with the good stuff to ignite your system. Beta alanine, B3, honey, caffeine, and it's built to kick all day long with B6 and B12. So visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Twitter question time. As I said at the top of the show, we got about uh, 50, 52 of them somewhere in the ballpark. So we will do our absolute best to rip through as many as we possibly can. Uh, Chris, good first question. Kyle, thanks for all your content. Going into week 13, 
Do you think the Dolphins will reach 10 wins in their final five games? Yeah, so 7-4, and four, 5 to play. You'd certainly hope so, right? You'd certainly hope the expectation based on, and I know there's a lot of negativity about the offense right now and how they stink, but <laughs> we knew this. We knew they were limited on this side of the, fall, the ball. The script for this season has never been, we're going to impose our will offensively. It's just not. It's opportunistic. It's smart post-snap decision-making, which is why two is the starter and not Ryan Fitzpatrick whenever he's healthy. Um, I think they will win this weekend against Cincinnati. And you'd like to think between the Raiders, Patriots, and one of Bills and Chiefs, they can find two wins. They can go two and two over the final four games. I'd like to think that's possible. I'll say this, um, the Chiefs game will be really interesting to me because it's going to be the first time in about six weeks that the Dolphins will go from being the hunted to back to being the hunter, which is where they reveled in being so much early on in this rebuilding process and that nobody's going to pick them to win the football game and they're going to expect to blow them out. And defensively, I think the Dolphins can do some things to match up with Kansas City. I'm not predicting a win. I'm not. But for Miami to be able to flip the script and go back to being the disrespected underdog, despite what you've accomplished this season, you can bet your ass Brian Flores is going to push that button. And he will have this football team ready to play. I do anticipate we'll prob- they'll probably play it safe and conservative. We'll probably see Ryan Fitzpatrick again this weekend. I have no intel on that. That's kind of just my gut feeling. But they will be ready to play the Chiefs. They will give the Chiefs their absolute best shot because they're going to get nothing but bulletin board material and people disrespecting them all week long for being 8-4 and four playing at home, being one of the NFL's top defenses, and nobody thinks you can keep up with Kansas City at all. Push the button, Brian. I know you will. Have them ready to play. Uh, Chris, yes, I'm optimistic at this point that the Dolphins will hit 10 wins this season. Mr. Stubborn, how much are the issues with the running game on the offensive line, not being able to stick on blocks, or the running backs not being able to avoid tackles and create space, i.e. Kalen Balaj, Daniel Thomas? You can add Jordan Howard to that mix. It's okay. The answer is yes. It's, it's all the above. It's, it's, there's no shortage of layers. I know everybody's searching for uh, the the person to absorb the blame for why the offense is limited. And it's just kind of personnel's not where it needs to be. There are some coaching improvements to be had Um, injuries to the running back group. Yes. I know everybody wants to turn. I got a bunch of questions about chain Gailey and how much chain Gailey stinks. And like, can you guys give me examples? Because, I think the play design for a lot of what Shane Gailey and the Dolphins have done has been fine, and there's some really creative stuff in there. Is his rhythm as a play caller scattershot at times? Yeah, I think so. Were they late to adjust to Denver? And they got stuck in their ways? Yes. This is the first game this season that I can, and I've charted them all from a personnel perspective and a play design perspective. The Denver game is the first game that I was like, ah, oh, man, like... Can we get back to what worked a little bit? And I thought they did a fair amount of that against the Jets when you consider 
they didn't have Savannah Ahmed. They didn't have Miles Gaskin. Their running backs were Matt Breida, who they clearly don't like, based on his feel for running. And it makes sense. He was an outside zone guy in San Francisco, and he comes to Miami, and they're trying to run him in a downhill scheme. And he's not, he doesn't have a feel for pressing the line of scrimmage. Oh, yeah, by the way, and he fumbled. Like, like we will ever see Matt Breida get more than five carries again for the Dolphins this season. And he's good as gone when the season's over. So there's a lot of reasons why the Dolphins' offense is limited. Again, and I know everybody wants to find the one thing to blame and the button to push to fix the problem, but it's a lot more than like, I'm not a big fan of just like shellacking Chan Gailey with all of the blame for Miami's shortcomings. Because from a personnel perspective, we knew we were shorthanded this year. We knew we were inexperienced on the line. We knew that we didn't have the talent we needed to at wide receiver. And then we had some guys opt out. And then you make a switch to a rookie quarterback. Of course it's going to be more inconsistent. Of course it is. And not all of it's on Chan. And, and you know, Mr. Stubborn, I'm not yelling at you or I'm not yelling at anybody that oh, has criticism for Chan Gailey, but it's like, go Twitter search Chan Gailey's name and read some of the stuff that people are saying about this guy. And it's like, man, like, I like a lot of conceptually how this offense has evolved and they're doing things clearly for Tua to put Tua in a position to succeed because you saw what the opening script looked like against the Jets. There was a whole bunch of RPO mesh point stuff in there. We get through the opening script, that goes away. They're calling a different kind of game for Tua than they are for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and that's not a bad thing because you're amplifying what both of them do good. That's good coaching. Jesse, do you think having Hollins play more than Callaway Bowden is going to get the run game going since he's a better blocker? Do you think Miami sees him as a better receiver? Uh, I think it was the three yards per carry guys that said this. They said uh, reliable players who don't screw up are going to play. And Mac Collins has been around for a long time. Uh, he's been around this team longer than both Callaway and Bowden. Uh, I think the, the, the Dolphins coaching staff clearly likes some size components for blocking, as you said. Um I think Lim Bowden's totally raw as a route runner. I like Lim Bowden as an athlete. I think he's got a good edge to him. But as far as running routes and, and creating separation, like there was a reason why they trended towards Malcolm Perry. And Malcolm Perry's in the same boat as Lim Bowden. And they, neither one of them played wide receiver last year. Antonio Callaway, I think, is more of a change of pace for Jakeem Grant than he There's different roles within the wide receiver room. It's not, I don't think it's necessarily super interchangeable. That's just, okay, guy goes down, next guy down, that chart pop up. Well, what personnel groupings in is he doing? And Jesse, like you point out, is he going to be called upon to do yo-yo motion and, and be set inside the box and you know come across like you're running split zone? Matt Collins does those kinds of things. Matt Collins in the red zone. The size is important. Bigger catch radius in contested areas when there's less room to work. I think all those things add up, and there, there's a role to be had for each one of the guys that you mentioned, and especially if Malcolm Perry is out for an extended period of time. Lynn Bowden, like, you got to step up, brother. Jakeem Grant continues to have hamstring issues. Callaway, man, you're going to take those vertical reps. Be ready. Jack. One for the offseason. Rank the 
upcoming free agents and their potential fits in Miami. It's all wide receivers. Allen Robinson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, and Will Fuller. Uh, Fuller is, again, this is a great example of what we just said as well. Allen Robinson is the Preston Williams role. Kenny Galladay is more, he works more in the slot, but he's also a big guy. Juju is a lot of the same, but Juju is much better in yards after the catch than what Kenny Galladay is. Kenny Galladay is a Devontae Parker contest to catch type of guy that typically works from the slot. Allen Robinson is a more dynamic, better route runner, much more accomplished, much more polished version of Preston Williams. And Will Fuller is a better, but also questions with durability, version of the vertical receiver speed uh, threat that Shaquem Grant can be in. Antonio Calloway, people are, are hoping that he becomes for this offense. Which one do I think fits the Dolphins the best? Probably Juju Smith-Schuster. You get yards after the catch. You get toughness over the middle. You get a guy to work the slot. I'd go Juju as the one that is best fit. Worst fit? And Kenny Galladay is so much of what we already have a ton of. And Will Fuller, between the durability, and he is going to be better in a more wide-open, vertical, down-the-field passing offense, I'm a little apprehensive about that fit with this team. Uh, Gary, Dolphins media and NFL coverage always highlight exceptional play by Kyle Van Noy. I don't know about it. Always highlighting exceptional play. Uh, I just don't see anything. Tight ends crush him, and if he sets an edge, he's generally pushed out there. What am I missing? Uh, Kyle is Kyle. oftentimes, in my opinion, plays a thankless role in the defense. Kyle is not the biggest or strongest or most physical defender on the team. Uh, but he's super versatile. He can fill a number of different roles stacked and on the line of scrimmage. He's a really good blitzer when you twist him inside. We haven't had too many opportunities the last couple of weeks to see him do that. And we also have to remember Kyle Van Noy's been playing with a hip injury going back to the Chargers game. First half of the Chargers game. So I don't think he's necessarily been at the best version of himself either in recent weeks. Uh, but I see a lot of dirty work type reps for Kyle Van Noy. He's not great in coverage. He's good. He's, he's reasonable in coverage. But his best value is defending the run, gap control style defense. And you know, no matter what kind of personnel or looks you're going to get, yeah, I mean, Denver pushed him around a little bit. Denver pushed a lot of guys around up front. So that, that was more of a collective issue than it was just a Kyle Van Noy is the guy that they are running the sweep to and he's trying to take on the first puller and they're getting the second puller through and running up inside of it, in my opinion. Uh, Kyle, three rapid-fire questions in the secondary. Do you think X would be having as good of a season without Byron Jones on the other side? No, because he wouldn't get targeted as much. Who has been getting the larger percentage of number one wide receiver snaps? Dolphins have actively worked at times to shadow Xavier Howard. Who is having the better season if you take away the interceptions? Uh, Byron Jones, he's got to find the, he's got to contest the football. Xavier Howard, take away the interceptions, he still has 15 passes defensed. And he's still allowing a completion percentage under 50 and a quarterback passer rating under 50. X is a dude this year. 
DP, which running back is going to lead the playoff push? I think it's Gaskin. Super reliable. You know, if he comes back and runs with a sense of urgency and he's just just, just kind of willing to, to fall forward and pick up four yards a pop, that's a nice benchmark for us to shoot for, right? They ran for 4.6 against the Jets. Uh, the two fumbles were problematic, but you know, I, I think it'll be Gaskin down the stretch. Uh, Garrett, if Tua isn't ready until KC versus Miami, do you keep Fitz in? No, and here's why. We've talked about the ceiling and the floor of each player, right? And if you're going to win a game against Kansas City, you could get Fitzmagic. But what happens if you get the Seattle Seahawks version of Ryan Fitzpatrick or the New England Patriots version of Ryan Fitzpatrick? Tua won't give you that, and the ceiling with Tua, as we saw in the Arizona game, is higher anyway. So if Tua's ready to go, and the first game he's ready to come back happens to be Kansas City, let's do it. Let's lock horns. Let's see how it goes. Because it's not a game, as we said earlier, no one's going to expect Miami to win that game. So you're playing with house money. Go out there and let it rip. To his college career, all of his best moments came in the biggest stages against the biggest competition. I would expect the same thing in the NFL. Uh, Kyle, how much different would the offense look if Wilson and Hearns didn't opt out? I think Wilson would at least help uh, filling that Malcolm Perry slot receiver role. He's a little bit better yards after catch, especially if he's back to closer to 100% for his explosiveness. But I still think, like, Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson don't fix the wide receiver room in any way, shape, or form. Let me get this one from from Mikey. Um, Apparently his iTunes reviews didn't come in in time, and he mentioned it. So... I'm going to give you some love now, Mikey. Mikey Bain. I didn't leave you out because you're from the UK. I promise. Can you see us addressing skill positions with early picks? I would love that, but can see them getting a blue chip player to add on defense as well. Yeah, I would would expect explosiveness is going to be the number one buzzword pertaining to the Dolphins offense. Now, obviously, how they choose to handle free agency that will dictate a lot of what we see from the draft. But even if they do go out and they drop money on a big-name skill player, you need more explosiveness out of the backfield. You need more explosiveness out of your wide receiver room. And because we talk on this show about addressing versus investing, I'm not going to address explosiveness. I'm investing in explosiveness. So that's what I want. If they get the perfect chess piece Micah Parsons, he's best player available in the draft. Like, yeah, you can justify it. But for me, explosiveness on offense is the name of the game. Patrick, if the Lions tear it down after the season, is there anyone we should target that would maybe be good fits? I'm going to be honest with you. I think that roster's a hot mess. Maybe Jelani Tavai, the the thump thumper linebacker that they drafted at 43 overall and took like three rounds too early. Maybe. As like just an in-between-the-tackles thud guy. Uh, but you'd have to get him for like pennies on the dollar. I'm not trying to pick over that roster and give up anything of substance to get anybody off that team. Because they're not going to part ways with the blue chip players that they do have. Stone Cold Flores, last one of the day. Love your podcast. I love you. I always enjoy interacting with you. I see you a lot. 
Some fans feel we should move on from Chan Gailey next year. What are your thoughts? Should we look into a younger, up-and-coming offensive coordinator? Man, y'all are going to be real disappointed by my answer here because I don't think Brian Flores brought in an offensive coordinator and an experienced former NFL head coach to run his offense for the second consecutive year just to change again in the offseason. They tried to do this with Jim Caldwell. A little bit more quote-unquote pro style. Well, it didn't work out. So now they made the switch to a little bit more of a, a modern horizontal spread, quick passing games from RPO concepts. Guy's been around the block a whole bunch. We can delegate responsibilities to him and trust that it's going to get done. I don't think they move from Chan. That doesn't mean it won't happen. But I really genuinely believe Brian Flores is a delegator of responsibilities and likes to let his coaches coach. This move wasn't made for them to sit, look back on it after 16 games and say, yeah, you know, we're going to change directions again. I think Brian wants to be able to let his offensive coordinator coordinate and coach and handle that side of the ball. And we all know that Miami's playing with a hand somewhat tied behind their back because the personnel is not where it needs to be. So I think they'll look at a more conceptual point of view. I think they'll look at a coaching point of view. How well does the team regard Changeli? How well do they retain the information, the playbook? What's the install looking like? What does the next level look like? And I think Changeli will be back next year. So no, I don't think I don't think they should change. I think we need to see what this product looks like when we actually have pieces to run the kind of offense that we want to run. And that's no slight towards the rebuild. It's just you can only address so much in a single offseason. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Power to the Pod. I always enjoy them. I always enjoy connecting with you guys, talking with you guys, getting your points of view on stuff. We'll be back. We got three more shows this week. So hit subscribe here on Locked on Dolphins. Keep it locked in all week long as we begin to prepare to move on to Cincinnati. Because we're on the Cincinnati here on Locked on Dolphins. Our aspirations of moving to 8-4 and four on the season. Let's get after it. Let's have a great week.